0: Welcome to Everyday Theology, where we don't tell you what to believe or how to think, but discuss why people believe what they do and why it matters. On this journey, we will speak with artists, curators, influencers, and pastors. I'm Aaron Ross. And I'm Ben Gomez. right. well, today on Everyday Theology, we have... Such a pleasure and an honor to have with us Dr. Miroslav Wolf. Uh, been a big influence to me. I read a lot of his work, but also today we have with us Dr. Waddell who's going to be uh, with me, much smarter man than I to ask much better questions. So oh uh, Aaron, you're doing great. <laughs> well thank you, thank you. Um, Dr. Wolf, if you wouldn't mind
1: just introducing yourself to our listeners, so they know a little bit about you and then we'll jump in. Yeah, so my name is Miroslav. Uh, I come from former Yugoslavia. Uh, My father was a Pentecostal minister. I grew up most of my life living uh, right next door to the church and um, had both the pleasures uh, of that and also travails uh, of that as well. And uh, uh, then went on to study theology. And I have been... um, happy theologian in the sense that there hasn't been a day in my life that I have regretted having decided to do theology, and that's been now about uh, mm, over 45 years. Wow,
2: I love that, I love that. So tell us, Miroslav, what do you think the role of the theologian is as it relates to the
1: church? Well, I think the role of theologian is uh, kind of to accompany the life of the church, Uh, I always have in mind my, what my father, um, my father's wishes uh, for me. My father always wanted for me to be a pastor, and he always thought that being a pastor is a noblest of of callings. And even when I progress and acquired a certain degree of, uh, of of fame or notoriety or whatever you want to call it, uh, you can still. He was kind of um, happy about it, but you could still uh, sense that he was. This was the second best. Yeah. yeah. And, you
2: still could have been a pastor in Croatia. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Absolutely. And the thing is actually that I kind of agree with him. Mm. Um, I agree that uh, the, the the work of a pastor, the work of those who work with people, where people are in their everyday uh, uh, kind of struggles and to live a life pleasing to God. That That's really the, the most important ministry in, in the church. And uh, the role of theologian is somehow to help that, to um, get more clarity into what it means to be a Christian here and now, um, how we should proceed. And that's how I see my work. I think that's a beautiful
2: vision of the theologian. So to follow up on that, then too how might the theologian or theology not just be for the church but also be for the world
1: yeah so i don't i don't uh, separate very sharply between the church uh, and the uh, and the world i sometimes think that church exists as scattered in the world and mm-hmm. church exists as gathered and theologian does the work for both the church that is gathered and church that is scattered mm-hmm. or dispersed yeah. uh, in, in the world and when you come to think then of the church as dispersed of people that are work as Christians in various uh, domains of life, then pretty soon you find yourself doing the theology also for the rest of the, the the folks. And that is, I think, the task of theology because we are theologians not just oriented toward church, but we are theologians because church and the world need to be oriented toward the kingdom of God, Mm. toward what I might call the home of God uh, among humans. And that grand vision of the world as the home of God or the kingdom of God, I think that's the kind of parish (laughs) which theologians serve.
2: So tell us a bit more about your idea as the earth is the home of God. Like what does that mean for creation? What does that mean for nationalism, immigration, what yeah. have
1: you. Um so so, uh, so it's very very interesting uh how we sometimes f- don't see what's obvious. <laughs> uh and one of those obvious things is that throughout the entire Bible from the very beginning from the Garden of Eden to the last uh, chapter of the last book of, of the Bible um, and book of Revelation the idea of the home of God that is to say of the earth as the dwelling place of God is really fundamental that that's what if you look at very carefully at Garden of Eden it it is, constructed in the image of the temple, which is to mm. say of the place where God dwells, yeah. which is to say now there's no temple there, right? Mm-hmm. This That's creation right. and create the world becomes, is as a whole a temple because God dwells in the temple, humans uh, And are there's there. no
2: temple in the new creation.
1: And exactly, exactly right. There is no temple in the new creation or... Uh, actually, there is a temple
2: oh that's right God is the temple god, All right yeah. very good yeah. god good is
1: the is the temple yeah. the 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 earth has become holy of holies, and God is the temple in which the holy of holies rest, and you see you can then trace how that is also that idea is present throughout the whole of biblical history. Jesus Christ is a dwelling place of God. So in that sense too you have uh, at the very foundation of the Christian faith is Jesus is the home of God. We are the home temples of the Holy Spirit, home of the Holy Spirit and so forth, right? Yeah. So that has implications for the entirety of the of the world and especially uh, as you mentioned earlier for creation, doctrine of creation because this earth and creation as created, not certain pieces of it are supposed to be the dwelling place uh, of God.
0: Yeah. I really liked the vision you cast on theology, and it sounds to me very um, kind of reminiscent of what Tillich might have said about theology, that ch- theology was something to be used by the church in this kind of clarifying way, right, in, in the sense of wanting to create clarity where we might have created ambiguity before. Mm-hmm. And I think kind of pairing that with your idea of of being out for the world We get this vision that theology is not something so much, and and clarify me if I'm wrong here, but theology is not something like a set of doctrine to be subscribed to just to say I've got correct theology, but rather theology is something when we actually are doing it properly, it's helping us to create and navigate in a world in which we are being in the home of God and how we best can be in that home
1: yeah so so you can you can i put it sometimes this way that uh, theology is a kind of intelligence of faith mm, yeah sort of faith with a thinking cap, but faith is not a set of propositions right faith is kind of existential trust in God and walk with God. the entirety of it is called faith right, and so theology is like the intelligence of uh, walk with god right in that sense it's very much a practical science if you want and it's not nothing really abstract it requires uh, to think clearly often requires great deal of abstract hard thinking But if it's not tied to the walk uh, of faith, if it's not tied to the kind of shape of God's presence in the world and what God wants world to become, then it isn't really uh, strictly theological.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
2: So I was thinking about that passage in the Gospels where Jesus says, you know, uh, the foxes have their dens, the birds have their trees, but the Son of Man has no place to lay Mm -hmm. his head. And I think I used to think of that, oh, well, you know, Jesus is a, a homeless, is experiencing homelessness, and so mm. we have to care for others because that's what Jesus is. But thinking more of your idea of the earth as home, or God as the home for the earth, too, maybe it's that the son, the Son of Man, has no place because the Son of Man is the place. The Son of Man is our yeah, whole. Yeah, he yeah. is our fox den. He is our bird's nest. He is the one in whom we live and move and of
1: yeah. our being. Yeah. And I mean, I mean there's that side to it but but the other side uh, of course is the one that you mentioned gestured toward uh, earlier and that is that that that, that uh, kind of this was a homelessness Jesus homelessness in part was a homelessness on, on a mission. Mm. off a mission and and it was you can say in the service of home. And often yeah. uh, and often we yeah. become homeless. We take voluntary homelessness upon ourselves so as to be able to create um, and help create spaces that are can be described properly as homes and that for me ranges um, all the way from um, home of a family uh, individual family to extended family to a town to a nation uh, to a world uh, as a whole and i think today we are kind of at a loss how to think about home uh, at each one of these levels our Individual homes are threatened in wide varieties uh, of ways. They're unstable, and kind of feeling at home, uh, in a home, is uh, has become problematic. Our national homes are yeah. contestant. Who belongs, who doesn't belong, on what grounds do we belong and, and do not belong? What does it take to properly... Uh, belong. All of all of these issues are at the heart of our political, at the heart of our uh, individual, personal kinds of debates, and I think Christian faith and theology, therefore, has something important to say about them.
0: So, so what would saying something like, okay, this is God's home, how might that overcome some of those problems when we're theologically thinking through it? So maybe whether it's the immigration issue there, like Dr. Waddell mentioned, or that who belongs or who doesn't belong, and kind of in lieu of uh, you know the first book I read of you, exclusion and embrace, yeah, like who belongs, yeah. what does, how does thinking of this as God's home help us better navigate those situations?
1: Well, kind of one one rule uh, might be as uh, simple as to say nobody doesn't belong. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right. Uh, if the world is God's home, everybody somehow has a presumption. To be able to be at home, yeah, right, and so to create a world as a home uh that that would that would be a that would be a significant and important task, but then one asks okay, but we we have uh, specific forms of belonging, we are not uh of uh, 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 simply world creatures. we right. have a limited scope. We speak particular languages. Our bodies move in spaces that are relatively circumscribed. We identify with closer, um, in, in, with closer sense of, uh, of home. And then we have to um, kind of try to figure out how it is that our particular belongings fit into the belonging of everyone yeah. in the entirety of what is the world and is destined to become uh, truly God's home. And so it helps us uh, a bit negotiate between this universal and the, and the particular. Yeah, um, <clears throat> And I think Jesus' homelessness helps us as well. I mean, Jesus is homeless so as to create homes, which means mm, we yeah. have to sometimes compromise our own experience of home so as to be able to of supply help create homes for other people we all do that for our children uh, just think you you get married and you have this little bliss balloon in two nobody's uh, <laughs> screaming when you uh, when you get up you know oh what well, is really really cool and then comes a child and suddenly you no longer have a home that you had right <laughs> yeah. you become a little bit of a homeless mm-hmm. right but which is to say you just have to now readjust your sense of self and what the home is in order to create space for this newcomer yeah. that has come into, into your home. And I think, um, I, I always think you, you mentioned exclusion and embrace. I think the par- paradigm of the father who waits for his prodigal son is always fundamental to me when I think about the home. Yeah. But son has unhomed himself. Right, yeah, has left the home, right? And the, but the father hasn't unhomed the son, yeah, <laughs> son yeah. remains, right? And that's why the space has remained all uh, in father's uh, father's heart and therefore also in father's father's house for the son who has unhomed himself, yeah. I think that gives us a pattern of thinking that can be really useful as we think about uh, homes at various levels.
0: It sounds to me, in some mm-hmm. sense, um, uh, I to put it this way, a kind of prophetic vision mm-hmm. and unhoming ourselves. That sometimes when we, if, I, if I'm pairing this with maybe an idea of the prophetic, when sometimes we actually speak out against the things that are against home, mm. we in turn actually take ourselves out of our own homes. And well,
2: the, I think well, that's what the elder son did, right? The elder son doesn't go into the party. He stays yeah. outside, right? And I think one of the thing of the prodigal One of the things I was wanting him to do in the story that he doesn't do is he comes home and he's celebrated by his father, but he could have gone outside the party to his elder brother and said, come in. And the elder brother doesn't go in. And so while the prodigal maybe had unhomed himself by leaving, the elder brother who had stayed in the inn unhomes himself yeah. Yeah. by not yeah, joining yeah. in the celebration.
1: Yeah. So, so there are multiple ways of unhoming oneself. One is like elder elder brother. What has been reconstituted now as home with a younger brother is no longer home for me. As long as my younger brother is there, uh, I don't have a home. Mm. This is really not yeah. the space I, I want. So that's kind of unhoming. Or I think you were going in the direction of well sometimes people who who have a who, who exercise something like a prophetic role in a critique of yeah. home that has become encrusted unhome themselves as homes can become fortresses and if somebody inside yeah. says well, like a father did right um, uh, th- though he was a father and therefore not much happened to him, but if somebody else, uh, another sibling, uh, has protests that uh, he might have, and father has acted differently, yeah. he might have ended up unhoming oneself. Uh, yeah, um, uh, You can imagine reverse roles of, of, of uh, elder brother and the father, right? Mm-hmm. Elder brother wants to receive the younger ones, father doesn't, and then elder brother unhomes himself because he wants the younger brother. Right. And yeah. father is a dominant in the home yeah. and, and therefore wants to keep. So variety of ways.
0: It's it's that, I think that vision of, to go back to Jesus once more, that vision of Jesus who, you know, goes to his own people and yeah. is rejected by his own people, which he could have been accepted. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah easy yeah. enough, right? I mean, clearly right. Jesus, as we record in the Gospels, is very knowledgeable of, of Judaism, Second Temple Judaism. Yeah could have easily made himself at home, but he chooses not to be at home mm. in kind of that prophetic role of speaking out, and yet creates a whole new home, and maybe a healthier home yeah. that invites other people into that home. Yeah. Um, and so I, I guess my question is, how do we do this? How do we create these homes, especially when we're thinking about theology for people? How do we create these homes that paired with a, a whole other idea altogether i'm going all over the place my head's just spinning mm-hmm. right you know, maslov's hierarchy needs one of the first things that we want is shelter you know mm-hmm. safety and security but often we think of safety and security as being at home yeah right and yeah. yet when our homes aren't safe and secure for those who are out on the fringes how are they going to find that need.
1: Yeah, but, but you know, M- Maslow is, 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 is useful uh, to start a conversation, but, but not often to, to continue. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, in a sense, you have to leave him to, to continue because uh, uh, one of the, the very bottom needs is one of security, right? Right, right. And uh, it, you can, but then, then it uh, as it turns out, uh, security is a matter of perception. Yeah, and it's not just a kind of objectively established fact what makes you uh, secure, and you have a politics of fear that is being developed, and then suddenly you have a fear that is created and insecurities that are being manufactured yeah. for particular purposes, so that no matter how secure I am, no matter the, it doesn't matter that that, that we are safer. Than we have ever been actually uh, yeah. in our homes but we think that we are uh, completely endangered and i think we we have to struggle at that uh, against that in varieties of ways um uh, at the political level at the kind of economic level but i i think fundamentally also at the personal level yeah uh, fear not is the is one of the most uh, repeated command uh, yeah. certainly in yeah. the new testament right fear not Um, because there are many things that create fears and a lot of the things are created by the very fearfulness uh, of of our hearts Uh, how does one learn trust how does one learn confidence how does one learn a courage in in a significance and how does one learn to go uh, even to the cross not desiring it but Maybe fearing it, but nonetheless courageously moving yeah. in that direction. And I think we are forgetting that. We think that security, we, uh, that securitization happens when outside forces make secure environments in which we are, or we make secure yeah. environments we are, in which we are. But we cannot be secure without internally having a sense of confidence and fearlessness, yeah. if you want.
2: Now that is, that is really rich. I think because I hear a lot about, you know, safety and security, but it is, it's kind of an illusion. It's a myth. Yeah. Like we we were speaking before about the illusion of scarcity. Yeah. That's not even a real thing you were no, saying. No, that's right. Yeah. You, you know, you've done quite a bit of work on human flourishing and really this dovetails with all that. Like, yeah. um, I can't flourish unless we flourish. And, um, that, that seems to fit into um, what you're saying about your sense of home.
1: Yeah, and, and for instance, in terms of fear, right? I think obviously one thing is to combat fear in oneself and be mindful of what it is uh, that one has and what, what it means to be secure. But if you live in an environment that uh, creates fear, That uh, if you live in the culture of fear, you need to, I think, combat not just individual fears, but also the culture uh, of fear. Um, And you've got to do it on multiple ways. And then you immediately see that kind of individual holiness, if you want, and and shape of character and uh, public uh, holiness and the shape of public discourse are not... That they're separable, but but they bleed into one another in ways that is very uh, that are very troubling sometimes.
0: Yeah, it's the to me it's a lot of the vision of Jesus in John fourteen. This fear, you know, this Pax Romana. This this I'm not going to give you the peace of the world that comes through economic, you know, superiority and uh, military strength, but rather a piece that I'm going to give you doesn't make any sense, right? It goes beyond, yeah. beyond understanding, which I think is, is lending us towards that reality, right? The things that we think make us safe are often the things that are holding us back from creating safety for the other. Yeah.
1: Um, and safety for us. And safety yeah, for ourselves absolutely.
0: as well. Right. Absolutely. It's that, that perception thing that you talked about. One person might say, I feel safer when there's a gun in my home. Yeah. Where another person might say, I feel unsafe when there's a gun in my home. Right. It's just a perception of, who uh, who's looking at the gun, yeah. right? And for a lot of people, it's it feels unsafe to have it even near nearby. Yeah.
2: So let's let's talk a little bit um, uh, about Christology, because it it, seem, it seems to me that this might be another place we might go for help on this. So as opposed to imagine like I know who Christ is, and therefore this is what the church should be, or this is how I should be if i'm remembering your was it was after his likeness was that the name of the after our likeness? after our likeness that there was this sense in which it was more equivocal like who jesus is is we need to know kind of who the church is based on how jesus relates to people not trying to say that the church can just be like jesus
1: yeah so so some of some of this uh has to do with um um Uh, Both God and Jesus serve in the New Testament as a model for Christian behavior. Mm. Uh, Matthew 5, uh, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. And actually, the most profound command to love one's enemies comes straight from uh, kind of mirroring the character of God in some ways, mirroring uh, the character of God. I think the same is true uh, in terms of Christ, right? We are called to emulate Christ. In, indeed, Martin Luther would say we are called to be Christ's mm. yeah. to one another, right? That's yeah. that's a phrase that yeah, he has, which is, which is a beautiful phrase, and it's a phrase because he, he thinks that Christ works through us uh, yeah. toward toward others, right? But at the same time, uh, we, we can't be either fully like God, or we can't be either like fully like Christ, because Christ is divine and. Uh, Uh, The Holy Trinity is also divine. And so in that sense, a way in which we can um, uh, emulate God and Trinity cannot uh, be—God and Christ cannot be defined simply coming from Christ, from God through Christ to us. It has to take into account who we are as human beings. Limited, fragile, um, living— in 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 a, in a world uh, and and ourselves being of sin and ourselves being sinful, that shapes the way in which we can in fact emulate uh, Christ. So I think the construction of how Christians should be living comes both from the side of the character of God in Christ, and from the side of the character of the creatures yeah. that God in Christ has made. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, it's this um, term that I'm been thinking a lot about because uh even the professor's office we're sitting in you know chris green and him and i've had a lot of conversations about this as of As he's written a lot on it is this non-competitive reality between god and us that mm-hmm. we think about there being some kind of competition well i have to be just like god because the only way that i can be good enough is to reflect god perfectly but it it feels like that diminishes our own humanity that says well you're really just trying to get rid of your human nature so you can be like a divine, like God, even if you can't actually ever be that. But rather, what I'm hearing from you is there's got to be a better vision of saying we can be like God in the way that God made us.
1: Yeah, we can in in a human way be like God. The only way to be like God for humans is humanly. Yeah. (laughs) Right? Uh, Otherwise, we we are unhuman in order to be like God. But then why did God create humans in the first place? If that's what we are supposed to be, so I think this idea of being um, imaging God as human beings is 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 really important. How one what that concretely means and in every case, that's very difficult uh, to discern where the lines need to be drawn and how. Um, and I think what what's important in, in this whole discussion is, um, I mean, God doesn't have to say uh, forgive me, forgive me my sins yeah uh Jesus did not have to say uh, forgive me uh, my sins. I have to say, uh forgive us, forgive me right. my, my sins. I uh, always am caught in the web of uh, sinfulness yeah that also shapes the way in which I can follow Christ. And following Christ, then for me, always means repenting. Yeah. <laughs> always means uh, living, um, in, in a sense, with awareness that uh, of one's own in the inadequacy, and yet in that inadequacy being taken up by God and loved by God. Yeah, mm. and
0: another good Lutheran phrase, right? The life of a Christian is a life of repentance. Yeah. That kind of yeah, continual... Yeah recognizing who we are in our own humanness. Or
2: another another Wolf uh, phrase, that the fissure goes all the way down. Yeah, Yeah. that's true. That's
1: true.
0: Um, This is a a question I think that would be helpful for a lot of our listeners, um, especially for someone who's been doing theology for such a long time. And uh, even in reading some of your work, seeing some changes or some kind of shifts in your own theology over time, how would you encourage people who might be afraid to say, I need to, I need to be okay with the non-safety of saying, maybe I've got some things wrong and I need to reevaluate this and figure out how to better be that Christ-like mm-hmm. person within the world today. Can you tell us a little bit about your journey and kind of that thought process and how to encourage others to go, here's why we should be maybe thinking about how we should change our theology?
1: yeah so so I, I think that's what, what what's in what's entailed in the idea of intelligence of faith um, and it's intelligence of faith for particular times and places if theology could be done once and for all um presumably somebody much smarter and holier than me would have already done it, and the only thing I would need to do is simply to learn it by heart. Right, I right. wouldn't need to do anything about it, but that's not quite how we live, right? We, we are in the flow to- of time. <clears throat> I always like this phrase by one of the mystics, happens to be Muslim mystics, uh, who was talking about reading the holy book, and he says well if you read the text in our case if you read the text from the bible from the word of god and it means to you tw- the same thing twice you haven't read it right yeah every time you read it it means something slightly different not because you're unfaithful to it right don't because you're making it up it's possible that you'll make up right. make it up right but it's possible that you're faithful and just because you're faithful it means something else and that's because we are in the stream of time you can never return to the time you were before and well uh, i think that bible as the word of god is a living word right. it's it's a words printed on paper but when it speaks it's god right. who speaks mm. and therefore you have a you you have a communication between two living agents yeah yeah uh, one of them in time and is being spoken in time and therefore all of our theologizing, as well as general reading of the Bible, is is always uh, has its its freshness and freshness of life. Obviously, sometimes you you think, oh, I've gotten this wrong, and that's that's also very much very much possible. But on the other hand, repent, repent of the. Uh, yeah, I mean, I repent of my theological yeah, sins, yeah, and uh, you know I, I realize them as expression of my fallibility
0: i think that even getting it wrong is it being living yeah right because we do get things it sounds very pentecostal and you know my upbringing to this like word of illumination right that the spirit's illuminating it and making it real when whatever situation you are yeah um and learning to repent there's a lot of readings i think of the text that i used to read and go oh yeah women can't be pastors and i can go to paul and tell you why Hmm. and then actually having the living word and hearing the spirit and also taking intelligence and studying it going oh no that was bad right like that was definitely not that was not the right interpretation yeah, by yeah, any yeah, means exactly. um and learning how to do that and being okay with it
2: yeah i think for me it's it would be more than just illumination right it's a newness it's a freshness yeah, yeah. Uh, of the spirit and the word the the idea was he a sufi or the the yeah Sufimist, yeah. yeah yeah so that, that sounds so much like the Pentecostal pastors yeah. that I grew up with. Exactly. Yeah. Like yeah. my mom and dad. Absolutely. Like, like my grandmother. Like when they read the scriptures, they read it with an anticipation that it was going to say something yeah. new. Yeah. 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 That it wouldn't just be repeating. That because they they it speaks, they under, it it, speaks yeah. to
1: the now exactly yeah that's why my mother always did right open the Bible Bible speaks it's going to speak to now it's not yeah. spoken then and then you do some kind of acrobatics in order to figure out and you never get quite to now it speaks which now. is
0: why I think we you know bang our heads against the wall theologically not even just biblically but also theologically when we take the same theological tropes. And we try to apply them in the same way the way they've been applied for a long time, and not trying to use them for now.
1: Yeah, challenge, right? challenge for us. Oh, pardon for interrupting oh, no, no, you. Uh, interrupting you. Uh, a challenge for us, of course, who have this position, is to uh, say, well, what prevents it from being just completely arbitrary? Right. Right. And right. so I think that there, there, there must be kind of hermeneutical disciplines. Right. Uh, that we can. Um, uh, implement without therefore locking up the text to be saying only uh, what somebody else 50 years ago right. or 100 years ago or 500 years ago thought the text uh, said um, so I, I think bo- both sides need to be heard. which
0: which I think is a good you know, a good trope but to say learning to take it faithfully yeah Rather than saying, whether it's the Bible or even our theology, rather than taking it literally all the time, but learning to take it faithfully yeah. to allow us that moment to say, if I'm being the most faithful in hmm. this moment, where what is it speaking to me? What is the living word speaking to me? What is this theological concept? How is it helping me navigate the world today in a yeah. faithful sense, less so a historic sense per se? Yeah. or yeah. Um,
2: As you look towards the future, um, what do you see as the... The major kind of theological uh, kind of topics to to kind of help our culture, <laughs> uh,
1: you know, I I think two two great uh, themes that all concern kind of shape of our lives or 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 or, 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 or life itself, and one is the the set of ecological mm-hmm. uh, themes. Uh, I think the care for God's creation that seems to me uh, fundamental. But the other side also is what it means to be a human being, and I think that idea of who is what is a human being is um, called into question from two sides. On the one side, the line between non-human creatures and human creature. Mm-hmm. Has been uh, is blurring from the perspective of of sciences in significant uh, ways, Uh, but also it's being blurred in terms of artificial uh, intelligence or in terms of technologies. What is it that we can create out of ourselves, uh, and how? Where is the line that separates uh, humans from something like transhumans? Yeah. And those are I think some some of the really fundamental questions, but they they concern I think also especially the second one, uh, questions of the what does the in what does the dignity and identity of human being uh, reside? Who are we as yeah. human beings and uh, And I think that's tied to the question of how we should live, what we should strive for. So that's why I think that the great anthropological question is who we are as human beings is so fundamental. In some ways, unless we answer that question, we won't be able to tackle either the the, 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 the ecological uh, question. Unless we know how we fit into the larger right. household of, uh, of the world, uh, how the creation fits into God's home together with us, it, it'll be difficult for us to figure out uh, uh, how to get out of the crisis which we have created.
0: I, I know this might open a, a whole new world that we don't have time for, but you know, the, the 15 year old know-it-all Aaron would have been like, I know what makes us different is that we have a soul, mm. right? Like it's, I think it's the churchy answer just to go, well, here's what makes you different is that you have a soul and uh, you know, whatever, whatever else, whatever strands you have, whatever we want to call it, artificial yeah. official doesn't have a soul. But I think that answer is really blurry and not really clear and is there any help out of that in terms of if you're saying this is going to be the next kind of phase of maybe a theological newness, like something we have to really discuss, how, how do we think about it moving into the future? What are some helpful thoughts to help us kind of go, okay, here's, here's a good parameters by which we can start to think about these issues?
1: Well, that's that's a very very long uh, yeah, and, yeah, and uh, involved in the discussion. I think it's, a, it's a very much a right thing to uh, to ask. Um, you know, there, there's a debate in biblical studies whether there is such a thing as a soul in the sense of uh, in the Greek sense as a, a kind of almost like a part of a human being yeah. that's separable uh, from the from the body. It uh, doesn't seem like uh, in the Hebrew Bible there was such a right. such a thing, right? right. Um, there's contestations in the New Testament, and the arguments go back and forth. Um, if one thinks of human beings as holistically, well, how does one think then the uh, kind of special value uh, of human beings? Um, and many many have thought of it in relational terms. Um, uh, Bonhoeffer said, "Well, human is what's born of human." That's a very yeah. simple definition, yeah. no yeah. matter what it is. <laughs> if it's born of a human, it's human, but except that today we are not quite sure what it means to be born of a human, right 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 because yeah. uh, there are there are ways to be born right. uh, and uh, and insertions of technology in the very, very early stages of conception right yeah that that make it uh, make it problematic so it's, yeah. it's a huge debate
0: uh <laughs> oh, well i I know you know. Robbie and I are very blessed because now we get to actually go hear you talk about uh, or have a lecture for us on uh, the future of faith or the future of religion as it relates to technology. Um, yeah, we're looking forward to that very much. So, uh, so everyone else, sorry you don't you don't get to hear that one. It's just for us. But uh, we no, really, we'll make it available. <laughs> we'll, well, yeah, we will, uh, we really appreciate um, having you here with us. It's been such a great conversation. Um, I I know you have had a couple books. I know you had one come out recently, and I'm sure you probably have something in the works. So if you want to tell our listeners what that is so they can kind of know if they want to hear about anything else you have had to say about this, what they can pick up and read.
1: The kinds of things that I was uh, talking about, the nature of theology, I have a recent book. It's called For the Life of the World uh and it's a short book some 170 pages uh fairly easy uh reading and uh the next book i'm working on in, fact in is in fact on the home of god world is oh, awesome. the home of yeah. god and uh, human homelessness and what does being at home in varieties of ways mean when can we expect that one uh, it has to be written, yet, So I think probably in about, uh, in, uh, in the bookstores probably about a year and a half or two. So just
0: set your calendar reminders for a there year and a half, go. two years to be checking, <laughs> uh, checking for it. Well, again, thank you so much for being here with us. It was really a pleasure to, to uh, speak with you. And, you know, we can't wait to maybe speak with you again. I ah,
1: enjoyed it very much. Thank you. Mm.